0: This is the Evolution Exchange Podcast, a channel that connects some of the most successful technical leaders in the Nordics region. I'm Andy. I help connect businesses with the best UX and UI freelance talent. And today, I'm your host okay and welcome to another installment of the evolution exchange podcast uh very exciting topic today um we're going to be talking about the challenges of recruitment within gaming so it's one that i've been uh, wanting to talk about for a while and we've got a lot of great guests on here so we've got karima who's going to be uh, a future ta manager at star stable going into the role in a couple of weeks uh john who's a ta manager at next games Sebastian is a talent and rewards partner at Ubisoft Stockholm and Alexandra, who's a recruitment lead at Tactile Games. So like I said, we're going to be talking about the challenges and recruitment within gaming. And like we always do, our guests have provided some questions for us. So we're going to discuss a lot of interesting topics today. Um, But let's first start off with some introductions. So Karima, would you like to kick us off first with your introduction, please?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So yes, as mentioned, my name is Karima and super fun to be part of this conversation with you all. It's actually my first time ever doing a podcast. Um, But yeah, a little bit about me. So I kind of joined the tech scene uh, in Stockholm when I moved to Stockholm in 2013, uh, first starting my journey at Klarna. uh, And then I joined King, uh, the makers of Candy Crush. uh, And after that, uh, Avalanche Studios Group, Um, who do more, yeah, online PC and and console games like Just Cause, Mad Max. Um, And now I'm actually at uh, Lifesum. So they're more in health tech. And as you mentioned, uh, I'll be joining Star Stable in a few weeks um, as head of talent, uh, which I'm super excited about. So, yeah, I'll be taking a few, you know, examples from all my experiences from the the companies that I've been at. Um, Yeah.
0: Yeah, fantastic wealth of experience and some some fantastic companies as well. So really interesting. Great, great to have you yeah. on, Grima, Thank you. Thank uh, you, John. Let's come to you then.
2: Great to be here. So uh, my name is John Nalland, and uh, currently working as the talent acquisition uh, manager or lead for for uh, Next Games been working with Next Games for pretty much two years now uh, managing everything in regard to recruitment so anything that uh, touches recruitment that falls on my table so a range of different things and and been quite exciting to to see that. Before coming to Next Games I was working for Unity as a a senior uh, recruiter there and prior to that I have quite a varied background working for the agency side so actually being country lead for a couple of, of agencies and also working within within the tech recruitment scene since 2008, so a bit of a bit of a background in recruitment, to put it that way. But actually, the first time I, I worked for a gaming company was back in 2005 when I joined Robio, more in their sales department. Mm. Um, very different studio at that time, but it was it was fun, a fun time and kind of happy to be back in back in the industry again.
0: Fantastic! Mm. Thank you very much, John. Again, thank you for being here, uh, Sebastian. Let's come to you then, please.
3: Yep. Thanks, Andrew. So as you shared in the beginning, I I work with talent acquisition and rewards for Ubisoft Stockholm, and that's been quite a recent role since January of this year. Before that, I was working with Massive Entertainment, which is another Ubisoft studio in Malmo, and they have titles like The Division, Avatar and a Star Wars game to come as well. And before I got involved in games, I had a like a sourcing search role within life science, and then before that, it was more high volume recruitment for an American company that did outsourcing. Um, but yeah, excited to you know see the topics that we get onto today.
0: Yeah, brilliant, and I'm very excited for that Star Wars re- release game, by the way, and the Avatar game.
3: <laughs> <laughs> me too. Me too. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Alexandra, uh, last last but not least, uh, please can you give us your introduction?
4: Yeah, thanks for having me. So I'm Alex. I'm a, a recruiting lead uh, here at the Tactile Games in Denmark, uh, surprisingly sunny Copenhagen. Um, previously, and I mean, I've been at Tactile for almost a year and then previously I worked at uh, Unity as a as a Senior Technical Recruiter. And generally my background is in technical recruitment, uh, previously in IT consultancy as well, and also a little bit of an agency. Um, in my free time currently, I'm also co-organizing Nordic Game Jam. Uh, so that's also super, super exciting stuff. Yeah, happy to be here.
0: Amazing, mm-hmm. thank you very much. Thank you all of you for some great introductions. Um, okay, so we've established a bit of a context for all our guests today. Uh, and we're going to go straight into our first topic, which is going to come from Karima. So Karima, please, could you uh, kick us off with the first question
1: then? Absolutely. So, yeah. So uh, my question is uh, how hiring uh, kind of or focusing on hiring more remote consultants during the pandemic has changed the way we work with uh, employer brand and our sourcing strategies. And kind of to elaborate on that it kind of feels like, you know, the pandemic has Uh, kind of unlocked a few challenges in the difference kind of or changed, changed the way that candidates experience, um, you know, the hiring processes, but also kind of the sense of belong, belonging, and how do we kind of translate and frame our EVP and employer branding strategy around a more remote and distributed workforce
0: yeah I mean, really interesting how question. you guys have
1: worked with that
0: yeah. yeah yeah absolutely and obviously um the pandemic being very relevant and uh just going to come up a lot i imagine in this uh in this episode today and i know john's question uh, relates to that as well so try mm-hmm. and keep it more on um you know the remote consultants type of role then um yeah. john what what are your first initial thoughts on that um
2: i'm just thinking like historically we've we've done quite international recruitment, so it's always been a focal point. I think Mm -hmm. what we've run into is like, to give some perspective, a third of the recruitments that that we make are relocations typically. The one thing that's changed is that the the candidate expectations have shifted in, in my opinion, like a a lot of the people we talk to, they are more and more pushing for the remote option and being able to work Mm -hmm. from, from where they're set currently. Um, and, to kind of cater for that we've been looking at different options so we we've actually gone in to employ a few people that are currently working full-time in different locations and leveraged a a kind of payrolling agency to to help with that we only have a a company entity in in finland so uh, we need to kind of find solutions for that but if you have offices in in different locations naturally that's something that that you can leverage and I, i know a lot of a lot of gaming companies actually do that that have the that opportunity um so In a sense, like for us, the the employer branding part is staying quite the same because we've always been Mm. the cater for a global market uh, and and engaging with the candidates from there. But I think it's more like the the dialogue you have with the candidates and and different solutions for catering to to the expectations that that are currently out there. That's shifted, in my opinion. I don't know if Mm. if, uh, that resonates with uh, what you've run into.
0: Go on, Kareem. Do you want to just come back in?
1: Yes, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. That's kind of what I've now experienced. Well, I would say both at my time now here at Lifesum, but also like when the pandemic started, started, I was working at Avalanche Studios Group. And I definitely, it was, as you mentioned, you know, historically, we always kind of relocated uh, a lot of people anyway, and, and kind of hired internationally. But now it's more about, I think, I've found that it's been kind of hard to find like that sense of belonging because you don't really meet you know your colleagues in the same way. You don't really experience a kind of office life in the same way. It almost feels a little bit like you know since you're working from home, you could be working really anywhere doing the same kind of job. Like how do you kind of identify with the brand and your colleagues and kind of that uh, experience? And how do you kind of sell that then to candidates when you're trying to attract them? You know, how do you still kind of differentiate yourselves from other? You know gaming companies in that way um when people are kind of now working from home if that makes sense um so i feel like that's been kind of one of the focuses that that i've been working on with my team um to kind of still create that kind of uh, energy and excitement around you know working for um a specific company
4: Mm.
0: i think oh sorry go on Go on, Sebastian. You can
3: yeah. go ahead. Uh... <laughs> yeah, I think you're. I think you're definitely onto something. And you know, Ubisoft, like like many studios, has co-development. So we're used to working on a project split by mm-hmm. location. But I think mm-hmm. what you're talking about is more, you know, team by team, individual basis. And if you yes. have a team of five, and one is based in Paris, but the rest are all in the in the okay. studio together, it's really hard, and you have to work even harder to bring that person into the group. Mm-hmm. And like you say with the engagement, and um, mm-hmm. you miss those. Cooler moments, the, the conversations before and after the meetings. Um, mm. So maybe you just have to plan for those. You know, like have yeah, have scheduled time where you talk about personal things, and it's not a work exactly. call or something like that.
1: Mm.
4: So yeah. we started doing for consultants that we, because we have a actually a similar system to what John mentioned that we also started hiring uh, a little bit for for certain teams a little bit outside. But what Mm -hmm. we're trying to do uh, with those people sitting outside of Copenhagen is to have them, first of all, come for an onboarding time. And it could be a week. It could be two weeks. It could be uh, it could even be a month uh, so that they get the feel of the office, Mm -hmm. because that's quite important to to get to know your team, to kind of put the face to the name and, and so on. And then we try to have an agreement with them to come, let's say, every fifth week for a week mm. or a couple of days just to keep that relationship going. Because, because it is a quite a difficult uh, shift after we came back to the office and then we have those couple of people sitting outside. Uh, yeah. So that kind of helps. Um, but then from the employer branding perspective, then I think uh, the effort is also on our side to be able to uh, maybe share some insights from the office, to be able to share the culture, to have maybe more material such as videos, such as uh, guides on Copenhagen and, and things like that, that, that make people feel home a little mm. bit more, even though they maybe sit um, outside of the, the given location so that they maybe are more likely to apply for the role, right? Because we also are talking about engaging um, talent as well. So, so that's, that's I guess, would be my thoughts um, mm. on this one.
3: Yeah. Mm. And uh, just, just one little thing to add on top of that, we had something today at the studio, we had a quiz, but half the people mm. were at home and half the people were in studio. So we just used technology and everyone could play along and, you know, use your phone to answer and you see the results on the screen. So I think there is ways to do it, but it's just mm. a bit harder than if, you know, naturally everyone's in the office and exactly. they become friendly with with one another.
2: Yeah, exactly a lot to communication and, and how you structure that like we have certain rules like if you participate in, in daily stand-ups everybody's preferred to have a camera on so that you could you're actually present in the discussion and not kind of hiding behind behind a, a black screen. Uh, mm-hmm. So I think that makes the, the engagement more personal then we mm-hmm. try to have different types of, of events on an annual basis and as we haven't been able to you know gather everybody together we tried different types of software solutions. Uh, that will allow us to kind of have a shared virtual space where you can move around, and and depending on your location, you can drag yourself closer to a discussion point in one room or a discussion point in in another one to try and kind of simulate these types of things and so on. Um, mm. And I think it, you know transparency is very important. Like the what yeah. happens is that you end up having people working with just one project or one team, but you don't know what's going on with the rest of the company. So we we actually at Next Games we had a culture before. The pandemic started where every Friday we would end, end the week with a, a Friday wrap up and at the wrap mm. up all the teams would, would kind of go through the key key happenings in the in the team for the week. So sharing what's going on in the company, um, everybody had has an opportunity to be in the know in regard to, to what's going on. And then also we tend to end that with something we call the kudos rounds, which means that that you know we we jump on slack and then everybody can share kudos for something that somebody did well during the week and and kind of give thanks to hey thanks for helping out and so on and praising people also outside your so it becomes more of a communal thing you can actually drag people together from different teams that way these have been things that we found to be very good um Mm. and then i think you know i think the company values and the culture that actually becomes very very relevant in this circumstance like how you treat people or what the kind of core rules of engagement are like we we have the three c's like caring curiosity and courage and that trickles through everything that we do and the caring part has been very very important like just as mentioned giving space for that one extra conversation of hey how are you doing by the way today like is everything mm. good and, and so on and, and creating a little bit of space and a culture for that type of interaction i know in some companies it's very much about you know efficiency and just focus on on the, the daily task and so on. But I think in this type of, of remote uh, work structure, you mm. need to give a bit more room for that that kind of personal touch and, and making sure that people are, you know, comfortable with everything that's going on and so on. Because to be honest, I think a lot of people have been struggling just with the day to day and maybe being yeah. up, away from their family, away from their their you know friends and things like that. They're not unable to to travel where they would might want to go and, and so on. So just that slight kind of interaction beyond just the work can be extremely valuable.
1: Mm.
0: I was going to ask, has any of your companies before the pandemic were already taking on remote workers? Or is it sort of forced? Because obviously some, I've spoken to a lot of people, some companies were already set up like that anyway, so they, they were sort of already you know used to it and it didn't make much of a difference but on your question Karima about you know Mm. has it changed the the employer brand specifically obviously it it has pushed people into a different direction so I was just interested to hear from any of you if if you were already set up like that and if you weren't has it uh, how much has it changed then
1: Mm. I mean I would say that like if I look at you know my experience both from Avalanche Studios Group and now Lifesum I would say that yeah, before the pandemic, we did hire a lot of people and then relocated them. So it wasn't so much remote work or consultants. Most like, yeah, I would say around 40% of the people we hired were relocation candidates. And then that was like a whole process in itself, you know. But I would say that after that, then, you know, with all the restrictions and, you know, all of that, then, and also just, you know, people didn't really want to move anywhere. Yeah. There because was so much uncertainty. That's kind of when it shifted to then taking on more kind of consultants, I would say. Um, Uh, So that's where we kind of felt a little bit of like, yeah, a a little bit of like a a divide between, you know, people that were already working there, kind of knew the brand, knew the culture, already had kind of established like a rapport with, you know, their colleagues. And then like, you know, kind of created a divide between that and then kind of people that joined as consultants. um, And then, you know, they didn't really, they weren't as easily integrated, I would say, or had a harder time. And that's Mm. what we were kind of looking at. How can we make that more seamless and, and and kind of create a bridge there and do a better job then with with engagement and
3: yeah yeah yeah, yeah. And mm. I was involved in a few recruitments that were mm. you know remote based pre-pandemic but I wouldn't mm. say that that was the first choice. it was maybe mm. more like a, a solution uh, along yeah. the way. but we, we would have always preferred the person to be on studio on, on site. Whereas now, mm. I think that's what's changed, and I think maybe the yeah. studio is more open-minded to having somebody based remotely.
1: Exactly.
2: Yeah, I, I definitely second that. Um, I mean, I, I think the companies become much more open-minded and looking at different solutions to resolve this. Like previously, people that work remotely would be typically freelancers for us. Mm. Uh, so we did we did have the like architecture and infrastructure in, in place to manage all of this, and and in that sense, we were well prepared when when the pandemic struck, but. There was always the preference of people being at the office, like having that that mm. interaction. And now the approach is very different. It's much more like how do th- the teams see that they're they're going to work optimally? What are preferences for people? Like we have some teams that have already indicated that you know re- they're going to be working fully remotely after the pandemic is, is over and done mm. with. And then we have some teams that that find value in being at the office together. And interacting, so we're definitely going to have a much more hybridized environment. I think that's actually going to be one of the interesting challenges because when everybody's at the office, it's easier to manage a culture. When everybody's remotely uh, working remotely, then it's easier to manage that. But when you start to have the separation between 50% at the office, 50% remotely, then you might run into issues such as people starting to to create clicks. Uh, some of the yeah. The That are at the office might not trickle through to the people remotely and so on. I think that's Mm. where interesting uh, challenges are going to be, but that's still in in the future for us. But I think that's something to keep an eye on.
3: Yeah,
4: Yeah, go on. Go on. No, I I think uh, similar similar with us that this demand of people not willing to move or like uh, just a talent pool uh, basically being people willing to have the flexibility. It sort of pushed us for certain teams to provide this hybrid mode. And so far it works very well, but we're super aware of it that we need to keep together as a team. Those teams that mm. have um, hybrid um, teammates, they really take care of, and making sure that yeah they're together for social uh, events and conversations as well so as as john mentioned but also they they really come and travel to the office from time to time just not to feel mm-hmm. like they're missing out um yeah.
3: yeah yeah i love that that they they come on on site for the onboarding and things and i just just mm-hmm. to spin it as well like it's such a positive for us as recruiters you come across this perfect profile they're interested. They do what they want to work for you. And now we've mm. unlocked this door of possibility. That yeah, now now it's a real thing, and, and we could work mm. together. So I think it's yeah, that's just to true. keep in mind that it's a it, it's a positive
1: as well. Absolutely, that's true.
0: Mm. I thought, I just find it really interesting, just off what John the back of what John was saying there, is because from my perspective, uh, personally, I've only been in recruitment. Uh, since like during the pandemic and post pandemic obviously so I'd never experienced any you know beforehand the norm of it being all on site and stuff so for me now when I hear you know clients say no we want them on site that seems to be like 10% and 90% is oh yeah of course it's remote so that was why Mm -hmm. I was really interested in like that that shift must have been absolutely massive then so like from you guys who've been in the industry for ages must have seen a real difference
3: yeah. Forgive me if I'm jumping ahead because this might come up on a later question, but we used to fly every candidate in for the final interview and just mm-hmm. think about how much time coordination, planning that takes, the mm-hmm. time investment yeah. from the candidate. And, you know, that has pros and cons if you remove it from the process. But um, yeah, other things. Exactly. To think about. On, on that subject matter, out of curiosity, mm-hmm. how often would a candidate
2: be like that? That's something that we we also did. Uh, you know, pre-pandemic and, and so on, but how often a candidate that gets to that stage in the process, how often would they actually drop out? Like how often would, would that meeting end up uh, resulting in a decision that, that you're not going to extend an offer to them? Just out of curiosity, if you feel comfortable sharing that.
3: Yeah, I don't think I could share the exact, oh, I, I don't know the exact percentage, but it's um, very low. Yeah, we, we would have, you know, the, pre, the pre-qualification, make sure that the tech skills are there or whatever um, craft skills are needed. There's already been a personal interview, so it's more it's as much for the candidate as it is for us. It's to spend a day together, you know, what's the city like? What's the team like? Let's go for lunch. And how do we have things in common? And, um, you know, can we add something to each other's lives and, and the team? So I think yeah. it was more a rubber <laughs> stamp, um, yes. but the decision had kind of already been made yeah exactly
2: yeah that was
1: this sorry go ahead
3: (laughs) yeah i'm
2: completely of the same opinion it's more like a a, you know introduction and opportunity for the candidate to, to see everything and so on but i'm really like it's a huge investment in regard to to time finances and and so on and what actually would be very interesting to to get a bit of a analysis on on is how much would that actually impact the candidates decision making? Like, Mm. you know, if if they're already committed to come to the office, they're already pushed through the process quite far. Like, I think that's one of these kind of employer brand factors that, that, you know, Karina, you you were talking about, like, will that type of of, um, process continue after the, the pandemic? Or is there a lesson learned that maybe that's not necessary? Maybe we can be more efficient and and skip that part and not commit mm-hmm. a lot of time from the teams I'm, and so on. But you know mm-hmm. that's interesting, interesting perspective to, to get from you guys. Mm-hmm.
4: I really think that there is not really a role on that. Um, because I feel like in many cases, um, especially when people have families, they really want to go and visit the city and see the office and see the atmospheres, atmosphere, see how the work-life balance is, how the colleagues are. I feel like the more people are sort of rooted in their current location they want to come and visit and see where they're gonna be relocating to and and i feel like there are also types of candidates who are just accepting on the spots and they say i don't need it i moved country (laughs) so many times that i don't even you know i trust you guys
3: Um, yeah yeah Yeah. and i i can speak to that because i've been that candidate The the first time i left my home country I moved to Portugal I'd never even been there on holiday and I was like mm. yeah let's go whereas nowadays maybe if an opportunity came along I might be more cautious so it also I think it mm. also changes you know your time in your career as well.
0: Well uh, Karima that- I'm just going to come, come to you sorry Jan I'm just going to come to you Karima just to sort of round off you know your your thoughts after it's your question because I'm cautious of time and I, I know we could spend about 20 minutes on each question so yeah. before we before we move on to the next question Grima do you want to just sort of you know round up your thoughts since it was your official uh, like your first question sorry
1: mm. yeah no really interesting input so thank you so much for for you know everyone's everyone's ideas and and sharing you know what you've been doing as well um and I definitely would say that it's you know I can relate to that I think it's very similar uh, you know, at where I'm working today, and and what I've also experienced. So yeah, definitely a lot of good takeaways. And I think, yeah, I think it is a bit of like a, uh, you know, uh, work in progress, I guess, we'll see how it goes, you know, how it continues with both remote work, how that kind of continues to transition into, you know, uh, kind of the normal way of working and how we yeah. kind of adap- adapt, you know, our employer branding strategies and, and all of that, uh, you know as as we continue the journey into this new normal or whatever it's called um, but yeah very very good uh, input from everyone yeah
0: no great great first question as well uh, okay well we'll we'll move it on a little bit and I mean it, it does sort of relate to the sort of pandemic as well because it's going to come from John um, so John please could you give us the second question of the day
2: yeah no the, the thing that um i'm interested to kind of maybe hear a little bit of thoughts on is that with the pandemic with the the difference in in the remote working setup and uh, that we just spoken about and, and so on the one thing that i feel i've been running into is that there's a shift in regard to like competitiveness in in salaries and, and packages that we can offer to people in from different locations um to give you a little bit of context for instance we've been looking for back-end engineers and you know, scouring different markets and so on, and I've, I've done a little bit of, of analysis and run into, to for instance, um, if you look at Poland, it seems that the, the people that we're after there, they're mm-hmm. no, no longer employed by the companies. They're all freelancers, and they're all working for companies outside of Poland that are paying high, high dollars. Uh, meaning, meaning that we're suddenly in a situation where we're you know, a market where we would, we would have been able to present the, a competitive package, we're out-competed. The same is, is uh, I've run into in Ukraine, and this was pre um, the current situation. Uh, but there we had certain people that we talked to and, and they were coming back saying, you know, look, um, the package isn't competitive enough. Like, we, we're not going to accept it because you're unable to, to compete with, with the market here. Um, I've seen that for instance, certain cities in Russia have become extremely uh, well paid. Well, I think that situation might now have shifted. Um, but let's not get into those details right now. but I mean I'm just curious to hear have, have you run into a similar type of, of situation and have you like recognized it's across the, the border in regard to uh, you know independent roles or other specific roles that, that are more impacted? From my perspective, a few ones are user acquisition, um, engineering, those are 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 some that are are pretty have shifted in my opinion and in game design especially on some specialist areas like monetization and and so such uh systems those have been quite challenging but what what are your takes on that
4: i would add on top uh, the producers i felt i felt very similar about about producers and um uh, yeah i share the sentiment very much and i think it is caused by the global uh hiring and and not matching the markets but matching um inter- internal uh benchmarking that companies have for example in the in the us maybe in poland mm. i think there was also a shift in tax so a lot of people decided to have their own companies to to pay less tax but also the market became very competitive. Um, and yes.
2: Yeah. And I mean one one thing that I think also factors in is that with the pandemic a truly global market has opened up. Like companies have mm. shifted to a more open perception of, you know, can we use out, outside resources? Can we look at different markets and and you know, if they are freelancers, maybe we can sign them on to work on these projects. And for instance, if you look at, at the U.S. market, if you go to New York, if you go to San Francisco, these are cities with extremely high uh, you know, employment costs. So for mm. them, top dollar for, for somebody in, in Europe or, or Asia or something like this, it's a steal because they get really competent people for extremely mm. cheap in their opinion, although they're paying up far beyond you know, market uh, top market value in the markets that the, the people are working from. Yeah. Um, like, this is my my sentiment to what's impacted this. Yeah, But how do you think, like, now, now the is going back more to the office and so on, do you think that this will kind of balance out, or is this with us yeah. to stay?
3: Yeah, I, um, I think it's really interesting as well because, you know, just a few sh- short years ago, you know, a back-end programmer in, working in San Francisco compared to a back-end programmer working in Pune, India, you would happily accept, you know, those salaries will be different. There's a different cost of living. Um, mm. But you know, how amazing could it be to predict into the future that you do have these global salaries everywhere and that the just the level of general life comes up in all the, you know, all these other countries. So I'll just say that as a super general point. Um but yeah, of course, you know, the landscape's more competitive. It's harder to to source from where has previously been good spots that we knew we could get candidates. And maybe it will balance out, maybe um, same thing with the previous question with remote, maybe that's more of a hot topic right now, but that could also Mm. even out as as time goes on and people want Mm. to be working, you know, in person.
1: Exactly.
4: Yeah, I'm also thinking that um, remote working is a very, uh, you know, wanted possibility right now. But the fact is that after those two years, Me personally, I really started missing interaction with people, having an office, having a a group of people around me on a daily basis. So maybe this will also impact um, this change. And in the future, people will um, value the work environment. Um, The shift will go into the side of like, I value more the working environment and having the office and having somewhere to go to every day than having a super high salary where I sit alone at home. Mm. Mm. Actually, Great.
2: how how do you see like in, in in the future, do you see that you might have employees that are pushing for, you know, hey, look, I'm working here with this salary now, but you know what I want to do? I I see that we can work remotely from different countries. I want to go to Thailand, where the cost of living is is lower and and it's a lot warmer. I want to go there and work there and I want to have the same salary. Do you think that this is something that that we're going to start running into, that actually the current employees want to do this type of of a setup?
4: I think we might, but I also think it's a bit short-sighted because how do we, again, how do we figure this out process-wise? How do we figure it out from a legal entity point of view from uh you know all the logistics that we can we might run into and it's a great idyllic, idyllic uh, idea i would like that for myself as well having a little uh, base in thailand or somewhere warm where i can mm-hmm. run away um for for a couple of years uh, but but i think it's uh, also we we have certain re- limitations in our processes in the way we hire in in europe specifically as well um so yeah
0: <laughs> Karima what are, what are your thoughts on uh, on John's question?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I would say, I mean, I definitely can echo what everyone's saying. I've I've definitely come across the same issue, especially with hiring now for iOS developers. I remember speaking to a, a candidate in Russia who was making a US salary, uh, and you know, and was quite happy, you know, uh, working also remotely. So I think it I think it kind of depends on the candidate. I know that some you know s- uh, some people are kind of used of working remotely and or working as a consultant and not having that team around them and they like it that way as well especially I think within kind of uh, you know uh, within like tech roles or engineering roles I've seen that that they almost prefer working that way so then kind of selling in the idea of being you know on site and being part of a team and coming to work isn't as attractive because they kind of prefer the way of that way of working and are used to it so I think it really depends on the candidate like if someone wants to be you know, a full-time employee, then they have to be, you know, uh, you know, what, what, what you were kind of mentioning before with like legal implications and tax and all of that, then they have to be employed, uh, you know, or they have to be based in the, in the, in, in the, in the country where, where, where the company is. But if they're, you know, wanting to work remotely, uh, then it would be more than a consultant basis. And then they don't have the same kind of experience as someone who's working, Uh, as a full-time employee with all the benefits. So I think it really depends on the candidate, I've noticed. Um, At
2: at that point, I mean, there's a risk that they will be feeling more like an outsider than part of the Exactly. Yeah, where we kind of touch on on the the point that you raised initially as well, like how do we make people feel a part of the the company, the team, and, and kind of a part of something bigger?
1: Yeah. And,
4: yeah. And even taking time zones into considerations, just adding, exactly. it, just building up on that. Mm.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, actually, regarding time zones, like we we have people that are working remotely for us at the moment, but we've set the kind of for us the guidelines that that it needs to be plus minus three hours from our uh, Helsinki time, mm. making sure that that you know we can have a scheduling setup that that should work for for most people without causing any, any kind of uh, issues for, for running their day-to-day then we have of course very flexible working hours around that but that's one way that we try to kind of make sure that we we can have people join the right meetings if, when when needed and so on without having to do that in, in the middle of the night. Um, exactly. So so like mm. I think having certain guidelines and, and principles is also something that you know you just need to decide upon like what how do we work work around this and the clearer they are the easier it's going to be to communicate to, to people and you know let them know that there's a structure for this and a policy and, and a way that we work mm. and if they're they're looking to become an outlier to that then we'll have a discussion about that and see, see kind of how we agree on, on those details but i think it gives a bit of, of um it gives a sense of, of security also if you have you know clear guidelines that things look thought through essentially
1: mm. Mm, mm.
0: Yeah, uh, again, fantastic question, John. Uh, and we're going to have to move it on again, <laughs> otherwise we'll be here till uh, half six, I think. So um, we'll, we'll move on uh, to the third question, which is uh, going to come from Sebastian. Uh, so, Sebastian, please, could you give us your question then?
3: Yeah, so I condensed it slightly and um, I'm curious, you know, what rewards do people in game development value the most now? and i think this is a great link from the previous question because the question was you know about salary and more and more or to bring it back to the beginning not many people move their whole life to a different country just for the salary so it's not necessarily the salary that they're moving for it's the project it's the mm. you know the way of life the quality of life the culture at the company so these are the things that i'm i'm interested in and just to see if the three of you have seen a shift in that when you when you're speaking with candidates and screening things like that
0: who wants to kick us off with that uh that then karima
1: um so i mean in terms of salary i would say i mean i i would actually say for me I've, what i've what i've realized is that now i think more and more people are kind of changing uh jobs more because they feel like the pandemic has kind of um uh, shifted their career progression and and career opportunities at their current company so they feel like there's not that much of like a uh, you know there's not so much uh, or there's less there's a lack of of process when it comes to a development plan so I've I've seen that a lot of people are changing companies because of that and otherwise it's also because of like talent mobility they feel like it's easy to find another a new job because there's so many you know possibilities now and or so many open opportunities around the world you don't have to just find a job you know where you're located and they don't feel as connected to their employees so what I've found is that it's a lot around like career development and and um more like like a sense of um how do you want to say yeah like culture I would say that 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 I've found that people are looking for not as much with salary actually except for as you mentioned now the peak in salary when it comes to like hiring remote workers or like or 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 like uh, consultants um but if mm. i'm hiring like in the local market i would say it's more based on that those two factors mm.
4: yes cool. and then to build on that i would say people with with families especially they look for some additional benefits that could uh, help them maintain their work, work-life balance mm. additional mm. holiday Benefit is, for example, really nice. uh, Some additional uh, maternity, paternity leaves, for example, um, I would say as well. But it's sort of connected to this culture of like, um, yeah, not only you have an impact in your project and you can develop and there is a lot of conversations around it during the recruitment process, I would say even more than before. It's like a two-sided conversation of what I could bring, but also what we could offer you um on your day to day and within also the next uh, possibly years and then yeah and then looking at uh, how they can spend time with their families and uh, Mm. how we could support them uh, Mm. in that
2: yeah those are really good points um i mean for me what what i'm noticing is that people are are putting more emphasis on the whole working location thing like Mm -hmm. what's around the, the working at the office can I work remotely? Um, yeah. I think I mentioned previously like there's a lot more push in regard to do I have to relocate or can I work work remotely from a different country for you? Like what's the setup in regard to that? So I think that's kind of raising mm-hmm. it a little bit more. But I think yeah. then the, the kind of working culture, the work-life balance, these are things that, that I tend to run into quite a bit. People are very interested still in regard to, to personal development. How does the company support personal development? Like what, what are the practices, the budgets, the ways of, of, you know, providing training for for different things and so on. So, um, you know, there's a lot of the same things that there was pre-pandemic that people are focusing on, but then maybe some things like the, the you know, flexibility at work, work-life balance, mm. uh, and then uh, I would say, like, you know, the discussion for us, well Finland is known for good schools and so on, so that's still a very strong, solid argument for people to to kind of look at the Finnish market, uh, because they might be in that stage of life that that brings an added value to them. Um, So I think it's very personal as well, but I I think Mm. um, it's also role dependent. Like from an engineering perspective, our engineering team has basically told us that you know, post-pandemic, they're 100% fine with everybody working remotely, off off-premise. They can do that work; it's fine, and they're very, every, everyone's very comfortable with that. Mm-hmm. So I think that's, that's quite clear. And then you have other teams that are very, for them, the the kind of personal contact is, is much more important. So, mm-hmm. um, I think it might end up being more specific to roles, what type of things they're going to be looking after. Um, but the the flexibility of work and and you know what it's like to work and what the work practices are, are becoming more frequently asked questions. And then I think clarity in regard to what you're going to be working on has also mm. become a much bigger thing because when, when you don't meet the, the people in person, the interview runs are, are held out by video, then I've noted that that like being able to really explain the why you're hiring that person is becoming more and more important, like they're very interested in regard to the projects. And here I would second the fact that people are running after the the projects a lot more frequently these days, it seems like Mm. they get the one project done, and then they look around, uh, kind of shop the market to see if there's something more interesting out there, and are not as connected to the company um, Mm. emotionally, maybe because you've been sitting at home for two years. Uh, So I can understand that psychology there. So, mm. yeah, those things are, are like the importance of the project I and mean, the value of the work that you do and the clarity of, of like why you're doing that work. It's also something that, that needs to be focused more on.
1: Mm, exactly. And I've also found like a lot of people that are a lot of candidates that I speak to also feel like now it's become more important for them to really find a job where they feel like they, you know, can, where they, where they can really make an impact, so, you know, what you were saying, but also that it's, like, something meaningful to them, something that they can personally connect with, you know, um, something that, that feels like it's, like, for a bigger purpose, even in that sense. Um, yeah. So I found that that it's also become more important for the candidates that I, that I speak to. Mm. yeah and it could might also be come... because of the fact that people are at home now all the time that they've reflected more in a way i don't know mm.
4: yeah, yeah al- also from the number of opportunities so you you kind of choose what's closer to you what's closer to your ambitions what yeah. what's closer to this uh, type of tech you've been you've been learning to do but you didn't have an opportunity to mm? exactly mm-hmm. go on,
3: sebastian what are you going to say Yeah, I was just going to, you know, add on that, like, um, people maybe now more than ever find purpose in their work, more so than other parts of their life. Um, Mm -hmm. And and I've seen that as well, yeah.
0: Mm. Do you think that's directly from the last two years?
3: I think maybe it's, yeah, multiple things, of course, but probably time to reflect in the last two years. But also, Mm. maybe it's a generational thing. I don't have any evidence for this, but yeah, maybe more of the young people want purpose from their work. Mm. Uh,
1: that's true. Yeah,
0: that's an interesting, interesting take on that. Um, we'll go on this person, since it was your question again, so give us, you know, round round up your thoughts after hearing, you know, from the other guests there and, you know, yep. what, what you've sort of taken out of that.
3: Yeah, well, I, I looked up some surveys before and I found one from Skill Search and um, that's based studios all over the U- UK, Europe, Northern Europe, Southern Europe, um, and they mentioned something similar, so it's great to hear that that's the same for for the three of you as well. Um, so it sounds like, yeah, the bone or uh, the pros people look for and more than ever is development, culture, better work-life balance, um, the clarity. I think that was a really good point from John. You know, like not necessarily even the project itself, but you know, the details of the project and what what you're getting into. Uh, so that was really really great stuff. Thank you.
0: Yeah, brilliant. No, thank you very much. It was a great question. Uh, Okay, we're on to our our fourth question already. Uh, Time absolutely flying. (laughs) So, uh, Alex, uh, you give us our our last question of the day then, please.
4: Yeah, it also ties quite well to what we mentioned about, you know, shortage of talent a little bit for different reasons. But it's definitely something we we are approaching, uh, just stating the obvious. And um, at the same time, everything is so fast-paced, especially in the gaming industry that our almost only focus is engaging seniors, already experienced candidates. So what that results in is that, I know even from, uh, from some personal examples that there's uh, a lot of students or fresh graduates that uh, give up their ca- career in gaming because it's so difficult to, to gain in. Uh, so how do we tackle that? How do we make sure we don't lose potential? And how do we make sure we engage junior talent? Uh, and by junior talent, I mean fresh graduates. So people without experience fresh out of university.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh, can I jump in here? Uh, I completely second this. I've actually had a discussion with our, our management in regard to, to last year's recruitments and having a discussion about how top-heavy it's been. Like two, I think like two thirds or, or three quarters of the recruitments we did were senior level or up, and yeah. that that paints a pretty pretty hefty picture. Um, that's not typical in industry. That that you're recruiting to the top. Typically, it's more of a pyramid with the seniors up on up, up top, and then you have more volume down low with the the new joiners and and young recruits. Um, so one thing that we've actually done is we've, we've set up a game academy. Uh, we This year we, we've um, run the game academy for the second time. Um, so this is specifically for game programmers. Uh, it took a lot of traction, so now our BI team has been taking on a couple of trainees as well. Uh, our art discipline actually recognized that this was pretty pretty fantastic, so they're looking into setting up a, a, training program as well uh, one of the big big pain points in art are technical artists so we've engaged with the different uh, schools and educational so uh, you know um institutes here here locally to try and figure out like what what what's out there what what, what are are the options for people in these different different schools and, and so on and and we've found that yes there is a lot of art art um training out there but there's no specific tech art training so now we're talking to other gaming companies to see if we can support the schools and actually setting up courses for this. So uh, we're actually extremely proactively engaging with the market and trying to understand like from from where are the potential new talent coming from, what can we do to help the educational system to train them in in a more relevant way for also the industry and actually participate in that type of training and, and supporting. Uh, I know that for instance uh, Supercell is working extremely closely with Hive in Helsinki uh, to figure out the different way of educating uh, people to, to also open up alternative paths and tracks to, to come into the industry. So I, I, think, I think the more we understand of, about how people are educated and recognizing where we can as companies also support the, the, the schools to set up courses that you know are relevant for us that's definitely going to help us be able to also pull in that young talent, because yes, there, there is a, a, in my opinion, a, a bit of a disconnect that everybody wants to have the senior talent, all the time. Yeah,
4: it's the it's the huge jump between a graduate and a junior. It's it's uh, it's quite, uh, quite interesting. And also, if you're a student worker at a at a company, or if you uh, just uh, yeah um freshly out of university doing some some kind of an internship what's your perspective for being actually employed because that's Mm -hmm. also another thing that there is there's quite a lot of programs uh, but then those people end up um continuing the education for example in the UK you do uh, your year and then you sort of uh, continue with your with your education uh, and then you're some, somewhat being forgotten oftentimes. So how do we make sure that we actually continue and we actually hire those people? This is an interesting... Mm-hmm.
2: Um, bit of perspective. The the, the um, program we did, we, we took in eight trainees and we've actually just made a, a decision to permanently employ six of them.
4: Amazing. Cool.
2: So it, mm-hmm. it, it, it it is a commitment. And of course, it does tie into... Well, let's be honest. The, the gaming industry is... A, a volatile in the sense that, you know, sometimes it's, it's hit and miss and it might be very hard to know, you know, the, the headcount qu- head requirements for the next, you know, what are we going to need in, in the next three months. So, you know, I think the trainee program is is great because it gives an opportunity for, for these young talents to come and learn, get a bit of experience, get a bit of knowledge. They also get a reference pool, like if they then apply yeah. for co- other companies you know, we can function as references and, and say, you know, hey, they did good, we, we can highly recommend them, we just didn't have space for them at that point in time. So that's another added benefit of, of having this, like just giving an opportunity to get the foot in the door. But at the end of the day, you know, preferably there should be also a commitment to try and recruit a certain amount of pe- people that run through these training courses, because it's also a big investment for, for the companies as well. So, mm. When we set those up, we do tend to try and have have you know a plan in place how we're, we might be able to recruit from the, the tracks as well.
1: Yeah, exactly. And actually, I would say actually the great thing is in, in at least here in in Sweden we have a lot of uh, vocational universities. Um, so they have one in Stockholm called Future Games. Uh, they also have one called Playground Squad um, and Game Assembly down in Malmo. And those are basically, yeah, like game educations. So it's for, uh, you know, for students that want to learn how to do, you know, game design, animation, you know, art, all of that. And actually during my time at Avalanche Studios Group, I was actually part of the uh, board of education there. So what they did was each school kind of invited people from the industry. So from, you know, from Dice, from Ubisoft, from, you know, all different um um uh game studios uh to kind of represent uh, uh what it is that you know as a, as a game studio what is it that we're looking for you know what's the kind of talent that that we feel is missing you know is it uh, uh vfx is it you know a specific you know uh is it a specific type of programming and we kind of would give our input as well on like what are the kind of industry needs. But at the same time, we were also like then in contact with the students from the school. So what they did was the school, uh, they would like put together these kind of uh, game projects. So the students would create a game uh, at the end of their semester, which then we would come uh, and and actually try out. And then they had like meet and greets where the students then would actually uh, basically, you know, run us through their portfolios and also show us what, their contribution was in these kind of game, um, in these game projects that they did together with their with their with fellow students, uh, and then they would apply for in, then the kind of like the internship period would start. So then we would kind of uh, look at at you know the students that we were most interested in. They got a chance to meet us. Sometimes we would do studio visits, or we would even have like uh, guest uh, guest teachers from you know from Avalanche Studios Group go and talk to the students about you know, animation or or programming. Um, And that was a really good way to kind of build that bridge between, you know, like you said, young talent interns and also kind of really get them excited and show them that there is a possibility. And then also there, we also kind of had that commitment there that we would take on somewhere between 10 to 20 interns. And then, like you said, I think each company has their own strategy of working with interns. I think it's really important that if you take it on intern, that they really are an integral part of the team and that they're really, you know, you know, adding value and really learning, and then we would, of course, try to give them then, you know, an uh, entry level position at the end of their internship. Um, so that was that's the way, at least, that I work with interns when I was at Avalanche Studios Group, uh, being part of the board of educations of some of the the game schools. And yeah, I hope to do the same as well. Then when I start at Star Stable, but that's definitely was really really cool to see how many people are interested in in in, it's in learning how to. Mm. It's
0: interesting you said that, Karima, because um, I knew you were going to say Future Games, because Future Games is, uh, we've actually had a lot of people from Future Games on the podcast before. Mm -hmm. Um, Oh, cool. My colleague, Paul, who's head of the gaming department, had actually done a lecture, they'd asked him to do a lecture to talk about the sort of trends in the industry at the minute, um, sort of like similar things to what you were saying there, so I sort of resonate Mm -hmm. with that. Um, And we just found it interesting because obviously, it's interesting that a company like that or a school like that is talking to a recruitment company because typically freelance recruitment is gonna be quite like John was saying, quite senior roles anyway. Mm. Uh, because, you know, most typically companies will want freelancers to be senior for the, mm. the price that they're paying for them as opposed to, you know, mm. juniors coming in. So um, but interesting to know that even companies like Future Games are sort of reaching out and trying to find new, like, innovative ways, speaking to recruitment companies and getting people in to sort of learn as much as they can about the industry. So I think yeah. like, on Alex's point, that connection is, uh, you know, they're definitely trying to break through and they're trying to build that up a lot. Mm-hmm.
3: Mm-hmm. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. What about I, you, would just say,
3: I would just yeah, say, like, cool. I have uh, so much empathy for students and graduates nowadays It's like uh, the hardest part of your whole career is getting that first internship, getting that first job and whether you get it or not, you know, changes your trajectory potentially. So yeah, a lot of empathy. I think it is a tricky moment. Um, Mm. But this is probably an area that Massive did really well. So Mm. Massive was growing a lot over the last, yeah, four or five years. We went from a one game project studio to two AAA projects. And um, we we took on a lot of interns from the gaming assembly, which is a school in Malmö. What was Mm -hmm. really cool there is that we would have volunteers from the studio go in and give these guest lectures. The course was, I wouldn't say tailored, but it was, you know, they consulted with us on what kind of skills were needed. So they were best prepared for for the workplace. And then when they did internships at at Massive, you know, they'd be learning how to use the tools and and how to work in whatever craft it was. But their their efforts, their the things that they learned along the way would actually make it into the game. So they mm. got, you know, a real piece of credit from from their internship as well. So, yeah, my advice would be to anybody that wants to get in games, try and specialize and um, get specialized education from a gaming school. Because yes. if you think back 10 years ago, you know, the way in was working QA. So now now there is at least these opportunities and specialized yeah. education that you can get.
1: Mm. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And I know that they also had a few meetups. I know, like, at least before the pandemic, they had like a a organization called Dota Spielsbranche, and they would do like an introduction to the game industry day where, you know, the studios would like, you know, we would all like, you know, meet up and have like a booth. And then people who were interested in entering the game industry would kind of come and, you know, speak to us. And often it was young people that were interested, you know, in trying to get tips and, you know, how to get into the industry. So I think it could also be interesting to see what kind of, you know, communities or what kind of organizations also support this as well. So I know there were a few here in Stockholm that that really tried to focus on that specifically, because as you said, there is, kind of yeah senior talent is hard to find so I think it is good to look at the young talent that's up and coming especially because I think I've also seen with the game educations as well is that they also put a lot of focus on diversity so get it their one of their main goals was to uh, you know bring in try to have like a good gender split between you know uh, uh, you know male and female students so when they do their entrance and you know when they when they accept students into their program they really try to focus on that part as well to get more to get more women in the game industry as well from a kind of uh, Early age, which is also quite interesting
2: Yeah, Mm. that's a a really good good point because I I'm really happy to see that, you know The industry is becoming much much more diverse in all models Uh, So I think it's it's a bit of a time question as well like when when that generation hits the markets properly the diversity question is going to start to kind of resolve itself. Like right now, yeah, that's a high priority for us to make sure that like we take diversity into consideration and and you know mindful of that in in recruitment. So you know it's really nice to see that the the kind of upcomers are starting to resolve that already just by themselves. But that's also a topic yeah. that we talk with the schools and educational tracks to make sure that that is you know on their radar as well.
1: Exactly.
0: Yeah, fantastic question, Alex. Do you want to uh, sort of just round round off uh, your thoughts before we uh, wrap up?
4: Yeah, no, thank you so much, and it's also very good to hear that it's sort of uh, it, it's something that is a, a a visible topic for studios, and that there is there are some actions taken. So uh, that's a, a bit of a message to to the graduates that uh, the the there are options and there are possibilities. We also. Um, do some workshops at the um, technical universities on how to build your CV so that you, you can be noticed by a recruiter, how to build out your portfolio, how to interview for the first time. So we're also trying to to, to coach a little bit because sometimes uh, yeah, there is uh, just this one thing missing um, to, to get that first interview and then and then to, to, to get in. But thank you so much for your, all your mm-hmm. thoughts.
0: That was a brilliant question. And we've had four brilliant questions. um, But that takes us to the end of the podcast. It's gone very quickly, but some absolute brilliant discussion. Um, Thank you all for your participation and involvement and uh, obviously providing the questions. So uh, I hope it's been uh, well, I'm sure it has been a good listen for all the audience out there, but I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, so I'll take this time to say thank you to Karima, to John, uh, Sebastian and Alex uh, for your participation today. Uh, and if anyone else does want to join on the podcast, uh, please just feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn. But until then, we will see you next time.